Too much horror business Driving late at night Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business Greetings and salutations My name is Justin Lore And I'm Liam O'Donnell And you are listening to episode 120 of Her Business. Horror Business! And and today, we, oh, was that your white belt fucking screamo emo suicide oh, silence? Is that, is that what that was supposed to be? You did it. Horror Business! What if that was my vocals? Like I was in a band and I sounded like that. I did, I would fucking I would go to your show with a loaded weapon and try to take your hey, life. Hey, horror business. That's preferable. Yeah, that's my uh, Glenn dancing. No, no, you sound like uh, an extra on a magnetic fields record. Uh, if you were yeah. dying, <laughs> what's oh I, I I love the magnetic fields, but for some reason I whenever I try to think of one of their songs, I have trouble remembering anything. Uh, There's the one about the dancing bear not being your dancing bear, or some shit like that. That could describe literally a dozen magnetic field songs. <laughs> there's like you might as well have just said, yeah. There's that song where he sings about the moon. It's like yeah, that's every magnetic field song. There's a song where he's mad and he doesn't love you anymore. Yeah, again, <laughs> my favorite magnetic field song. Not to go off on too much of a tangent because I'm a sensitive boy. Is either the Book of Love or um. Nothing matters when we're dancing. Oh my god! Oh yeah, I love that song. It is very good. <clears throat> okay, come on, let's do this thing. Okay, so today's episode, we are talking about two films that were made by black creators. Well, no, I was going to say that's not true at all. Let's try that not, again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're going to be talking about two films in the. Can we call it horror noir? Well, what I would say is. <clears throat> We're talking about two movies that um, center black stories, one of which was made by a white director and one of which was made by not just a black director, but an entire team. I mean, Ernest Dickerson was the fucking camera guy on Death by Temptation, which is crazy to think like my man was like he left Death by Temptation and started shooting Do the Right Thing. Yeah, that's great. That's crazy. In fact, that they. They had to, what do you call, there's reshoots on Death by Temptation that Lloyd Kaufman did on his own because Ugh. Ernest Dickerson was busy doing Death by Temptation or doing uh, Do the Right Thing. So, yeah, we're doing 1990s Death by, Te- Death by Temptation and 1991's People Under the Stairs. The People Under the Stairs. Correct. Uh, and I, I had a random thought at like 3 a.m. about why I there's a certain element we're going to talk about with The People Under the Stairs that takes it just from... Um, white director using um the plight of black people to tell a scary story. Sure. To white director actually making a cutting commentary on oh, capitalism. Yeah. I I think we underrate both Wes Craven and John Carpenter in their commentary aspect. I will say Wes Craven had maybe a few less opportunities to be direct, but he's being very direct with this movie. And there's a reason that, you know, if you watch the earlier, 
you referenced Har Noir, the documentary that uh, friends of ours worked on and put out into the world. And uh, if you watch it, a lot of black directors and creators and actors were very influenced by this movie. There's a reason for that. It's not just like, oh, it just happened to be there. There's a lot of stuff in the movie that I think is really clear about who has the power in this community and how, and in fact, I would say the only thing about the movie that is perhaps politically dissatisfying is I wish we could dismantle white racism by killing one bad couple. Like that's, yeah. that's the, fa- the, the, the only real fantasy in this movie is the idea that like, you just got to get rid of that one bad couple. The part where, uh, a lot of uh, shitty white people are actually incestuous cannibals. I- I'm willing to be on. T- I-, I think that's not a- an unfair take, honestly. No, that's not unreasonable. But bef- but before we dive into the horrors that have been inflicted upon inner city America by not folks like Liam, because Liam's Irish, so he doesn't count. <laughs> Stop. But folks like me. Who do we have to thank in this episode? First off, we are going to thank our patrons on Patreon.com. Thank you so much for for listening to our our unhinged at best rants about the system in all capital letters, white people, capitalism. Um, I guess I don't know other stuff, and thinking, wow, that's really cool. I want to I want to support this more directly instead of just listening to it. I want to give them money. Um, Thank you. Patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. We greatly appreciate it. We just put out some stuff on Cinepunks for our patrons. Um, Liam, I'm going to let you handle where to go to that. You should, they should have gotten an email about that, right? Yeah. If, uh, if you want to check it out, just head to our Cine, head to our Patreon. It's right up there. Hopefully if you're on our Patreon, you've already, you can get, grab the RSSS feed and put it in your podcaster, like whatever program you're using to stream this podcast right now you can put the rsss feed link into your pod chaser or podcatcher of choice and then um it'll come up and you'll be in it'll just come into your feed like all your other podcasts by magic you, you can also download it from patreon if you prefer you could yeah um we also have to thank the people over at they're not under the stairs Chris Reject should live under the stairs. Chris Reject could easily be mistaken for a person under the stairs. But unfortunately, he's been loosed upon the world by an unfortunate set of circumstances, and now we have to deal with him. And if you want to interact with him, you can head to www.xlvacx and deal with his company, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. I got there. That was a very circuitous route, but I fucking did it. I did the the Kessel Run in, in 13 parsecs instead of 12. Digging myself deeper. <laughs> I love this dirty hole you're digging. For oh, yourself. it's just, it's it's horrifying. Okay, now Liam, I said to you, I have an idea for a T-shirt that is just a black T-shirt, and on the back, it just says Matt Gates should be arrested for child trafficking. Where? What? 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 What association would you would you direct me to firmly but gently to get that printed? Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, though I think it's a terrible idea. Why is it a terrible idea? I don't know. I just was saying that. I just like to mess with you. Okay. 
We have Valley Perio Creations. <laughs> they'll they'll print up your politically questionable T-shirts. Um, hang on a second, and they'll do it at a cheap price. A cheap price that is so cheap and so unreasonable, it'll cause Chris Reject mental and emotion du- emotional duress, which is, let's be honest, that's what we all want to happen. That's what everyone in the world is working for. And if, Chris, you're listening to this, if you're like wondering, is Justin saying that the universe is out to get me? I'm absolutely saying that. I'm absolutely saying that the universe is a sentient force that is, that is um, intent upon driving you to, to destruction. <laughs> I mean, I think you should get things printed at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, both because I think they do great work and because it'll ruin Chris's life. Those yes. both both reasons are equal in my brain. He's got a little bit left. He's got a tiny, just a fucking little bit left. If we work together, I truly believe that we can completely ruin him as a as a person and drive him to madness. So let's fucking do it. Let's do it. We're all in this together. Now, who else do we have to thank? Our good friends over at Essex Coffee Roasters. Um, look, you guys know Aaron Dahlbeck. I don't have to tell you who he is. You're familiar with all his various bands from You've Bane. moshed you've moshed a bane. You've punched yeah. me in the you punched me in the face during when they played the zoo in Wilkesbury in nineteen ninety five and broke my <laughs> nose. We all know. Converge, be well. You're familiar. Well, he also makes amazing coffee over at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, where he has high-quality beans roasted to order. He also has quality teas and apparel. Go order stuff on your way out. Put in the code C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X to get 10% off your order. Go do it right now. That's right it. The That's the whole thing. Now. All right. Now comes the time in the podcast when I move to Liam's house in Chicago to get my life on track. And I meet a young woman at the bar and I light her cigarette for some reason. I'm attracted to a woman who smokes for whatever reason. I light her cigarette and she takes me back to her house and she tries to have sex with me, but I'm a virgin and the power of Jesus Christ that I have in my heart drives her away. But I'm so scared. I forget how to drive. So I call Liam up and I, I tell Liam to come get me and I give him directions. And I say, watch out for the fucking, the succubus that's out there. Just be careful. But Liam is my brother in Christ. So the power of God protects him as well. <laughs> We're so far off from this movie right now. It's amazing. <laughs> Liam comes to this house and picks me up and I'm naked and shaking. And he wraps me gently in a blanket and puts me in the car. And he get in the car and he puts on, I don't know, Archer's loaf on the fucking radio to calm me down. And as I'm dealing with what just happened, I look at him and I say, Liam, what have you done involving R recently? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a lot, but the one thing I have is something that I know we'll probably spend a little bit of time talking about. And that is, uh, I saw Nope. Oh my God. <sighs> Holy fuck. Yeah. I mean, literally that's what I'm, that's how I feel about it. Um, uh, I don't want to say I don't want to say it has a twist because I think the minute you say twist, everyone's brain jumps to like an M. Night Shyamalan movie, which it's like is an like an anti twist. Yeah, it's not it's not that at all. 
but it was a surprise. Where they decided to go was a bit surprising. Yes. And so I have not been discussing the movie too much publicly because I don't want to ruin the surprise for people. Again, it's not a twist. I think that's unfair. But I do think you think you know what the movie is doing and then you realize you don't. But it's not this unbelievable surprise where you're like, oh, they totally flipped it. It's not that. It's just not all the details have been made public. And some of those details are fucking delicious. Just yes. amazing. Now, is the movie also upsetting? Well, the only thing I'll say is that parts of it are, were probably more upsetting for Justin than they were for me. Because, Weird. Why is that? Because famously, you are deathly afraid Dude. of those little men from space. Dude, the fucking scene that's in the trailer where you see the alien kind of behind the, mm-hmm. the stable... When that scene was playing out in the movie and OJ is looking through his phone and you're seeing it, you're, 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 the the camera is focused on the phone. So we're seeing what the phone is seeing. Dude, I halfway through doing it realized I'm going to run out of this movie theater. (laughs) Like I was, I was literally like I had my hands on the armrest and I was tensing up to stand up. And fucking get out of there. And I was like, oh, I can't do that. That movie filled me with such anxiety. And that's not even the most upsetting part of the movie in retrospect. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yo, here's, here's, here's what I'll say. This movie is a bit divisive. Some people have really loved it. Some people have felt like it was a mess. I keep hearing people say that it's a mess. It's a mess. Um, There are aspects of the movie that make sense thematically that maybe people don't see why they're in there narratively speaking. And my feeling on that is just think about the themes of the movie. I mean, I don't know. Again, I, I want to get into more in depth than this, maybe in a month when yeah. I feel more comfortable spoiling the, not the full end necessarily, but like spoiling where it goes, you know, mm-hmm. as of right now, I will say what the movie became was a little scary for me. A little more scary than where it started. And, oh, yeah. And even though it kind of becomes in some ways more of an adventure thing, that filled me with that much more anxiety where I'm like, oh, my God, are they going to? Oh, God. All right. Are they going to be able to do? OK. All right. Like, I, I was feeling really tense, which is like I will any jump scare in the world will get me. I won't appreciate it, but it'll get me. But I don't always feel tension in the theater. Even when a movie is tense, sometimes I feel it and sometimes I don't. I was physically feeling it watching yeah. this movie. I walked out of that movie theater um, with a knot of tension in the center of my back, a headache, and I smelled like rancid fucking panic sweat. Like, I don't know if you've ever had an anxiety attack. What happens when I get them is like I just sweat profusely and it's like this like raw like I don't know if it's like a like a like a fucking like like a pheromone that's like warning potential predators away. I don't know. I don't know what my body does in these 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 times when it turns against me. But I, I walked out of the movie theater and I also remember I I weirdly called Carly from the Final Girls. I I barely remember doing that. Like I called her and she texted me which is that was the best voicemail I ever got. And apparently, like, I just was, like, frantically whispering to her as I was, like, walking out of the movie theater. Um, This movie made me feel so fucking tense. And it upset me on so many levels. Like, oh, my God. Like, 
the thing that I think got me the most was this isn't going to be a spoiler, but I'll explain it to you in a way that you'll know what I'm talking about. Friend of the podcast and all around homie, Al White, tweeted about the quote unquote Akira moment in this movie. Yeah. And he wasn't talking about the bike slide. Sure. Yes. We're we're on the same wavelength here. You, you're picking yes. up what I'm putting down. Yes. That and the moment that was very similar to the scene in the Blob remake when they find Bill Mosley under the uh, like in the sewers and he's talking about what happened to his his comrades and he's like I can hear them screaming still. When that part happened in the movie, I thought I was going to fucking vomit. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. There was just something that was so. I, I, to be fair, the bike part was pretty awesome too. Oh, it was totally awesome. It was like, (laughs) it was like, Oh cool. A member of Daft Punk has showed up to ruin their good time. Um, But when she does that, they do almost exactly recreate the shot from Akira with her on the bike. Oh yeah. I was like, Oh fuck. Thank you for that. You know, cause he's not, he's not the first person to do it. Like I've seen it before. But it was done very well. I mean, let's let's move on because I, I I really want to spoil it to talk about it, and I think yeah. that would be bad. But all I'll, I'll say is this: this is horror business approved. Go see this fucking movie. And for folks who are like, I don't know why you like it so much. I think it kind of sucked. Let's you know hit hit us up on social media. I'd love to tell you why you're you're wrong, and uh, you know possibly publicly make you look bad. No, I'm not going to do that. But actually, no, I, fuck you. Text me, find me on social media, and we'll set a place where we can meet and fucking engage in ritual <laughs> combat. If your weapon of choice, you will choose the way you will fucking die. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, suffice it to say, we both really liked it. Um, yes. That's about it for me, though. Oh, the only other thing I'll say is um, there's a new Hellboy Universe shoot-off comic that I picked up okay. called the, Paranor- the, the British Paranormal Society, I think is what it's called. Uh, something something along those lines and it is uh within the hellboy sort of universe but i think it's actually written by not mignola i think it's written by another guy who's been involved with hellboy uh i just picked it up i read the first issue it seemed really cool so i just wanted to recommend it put it out there check it out i like that have you perchance vaguely hellboy related only because of the artwork have you have you read black hammer i've only read one issue it seems cool I need to, it's black hammers old enough that you can't just pick up the issue. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's hard. It, every time I go in a shop, they'll have like book two and book 12 of the trades, but they, <laughs> but they won't have like book one, you know what I yeah. mean? So, uh, I just need to get on a bookstore or something like that website and just get the back books, the back trades. Okay. Uh, but I'm very interested in it. Yeah. It looks really good. It's um, yeah. I think I didn't, when it first came out, I should have picked it up. And instead I was, I actually was reading black science at the time. I don't know if you ever oh, read that comic. No, I haven't. Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. But I, I kind of got under, I got, I lost interest after a while. All right. What about I, you, buddy? What about you? Oh, so I've done so much. Um, so I watched a little movie on Netflix called incantation. Did I talk about this last time? No, you did not. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty gnarly. It's on Netflix. Um, I kind of did like a watch along via Instagram with friend of the friend of the show, Ange McNichols out in Chicago. It's your neck of the woods. Har ghoul on Instagram. Oh, sure. Yeah. We were like texting during it and it was uh, it's it's not as like. It's good, 
it's not as like frightening as like Nora, Noroy, Nor. How do you know the curse? Oh, no, I think it's Noroy. Noroy. I don't like that movie and I never need to see it again. Cause it just, it's, it frightened me. So it did, did me a frighten. Um, incantation was good. Uh, what else I did? I did a fucking lot. Just a heads up. Um, I watched a little movie called when I consume you. I can't talk about it cause I could say it's good. But I was going to say, I already saw it. It's really good. I talked about it. Uh, yeah, here it's good. Uh, I started watching resident evil on Netflix. I'm going to be honest. I'm not too crazy about it so far. I'm going to give it like another episode. Before I like, you know, call it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, watch a little movie on Tubi called Howard's Mill. It's a found footage movie. If you like spooky, missing people type stuff, possibly aliens, we don't know. Check it out. Um, let's see what else. What other, what other horror things I did? Because I did a lot. Okay. There's nope. Uh, vaguely horror related. I went to a place called uh, Monster Vegan down in Philly. It's a good. Oh yeah, they seem cool. They're they're very cool. Um, it's a vegan restaurant, and it's horror themed. I don't need to say anything else. I got a general Sal's hoagie and Oreo bennets. Delicious. And it's, uh, it's you said it's vegan, right? Did you? Say it's that? vegan, yeah. Um, I also went to a recent screening at the Mahoning Drive-in of the Blair Witch Project. Oh wow! How was that? Uh, awesome. I always forget how upsetting that movie is to me. Um, it was kind of cool cause they had like some people there that were involved with the film. Like they did a, um, the one guy who we see at the end standing in the corner, Mike, he like that, that actor was like, he like zoomed in and like, you know, did a little, little like talk about the movie. Super cool guy. It was really cool. They also did like they they talked with some of the other cast members, um, and the director Eduardo Sanchez, who's amazing. Um, the only thing I didn't like was like, and this is like, no disrespect to like anyone else involved in that movie, but like, the heart and soul of that film are the three actors we see like through most of it. They're the ones sure, who like yeah. they fucking made that movie. Um, I don't really have I don't have much of an interest in what anyone else outside like the writer and director who were in that movie have to say and there was a certain cast member in that and if you know me if you were there with me you know who it was because as soon as their part came in the film I fucking booed loudly because I was so annoyed that the this Q&A went on to like almost quarter to ten um, and I know this makes me sound like an asshole and I'm kind of okay with that um, but yeah, the Blair Witch Project, super upsetting, but it was cool just to hear, uh, that actor whose last, his first name is Mike. I can't remember. I can't remember his last name to hear him talk about what it was like to make that movie and how his life has changed because of that movie. That is like fascinating to me. Sure. Because like, I guess it's kind of like known that like a lot of like the snippiness that happens later in that movie that wasn't all acting. That was them genuinely being like, just sick of being around each other. And it was just like, I I think that's just, that's fascinating how they were smart enough to use that kind of like cantankerous behavior in a way that like generated like a, a really paranoid upsetting film. Um, I also watched a movie called he's watching on Voodoo. Um, it was just okay. Uh, then last night I watched a movie called glorious, which, um, 
it comes out on, I think it comes out in the beginning of August. It's playing at Fantasia right now, but it's be, it's, it's going to be on, or Fantastic Fest. No, is it Fantasia or Fantastic Fantasia, Fest? Fantasia. Fantasia. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to write about it shortly. It's a fucking blast. Uh, it involves a, the disembodied voice of JK Simmons speaking to a man at a rest stop in the middle of nowhere from a bathroom stall and fucking glorious, no pun intended, glorious Lovecraftian mayhem ensues. Uh, it is a fucking trip. And then, um, I'm still kind of like sifting through my feelings about this other movie I watched called the breach, which is also playing at Fantasia. Uh, based on a book by that guy, Nick Cutter, who is getting like a lot of hype right now. He's like a horror novelist. He's a pseudonym for another. It's a, it, this guy, Nick Cutter is a pseudonym for an author who writes like more contemporarily acceptable sort of like, um, Chuck Palahniuk style books. Sure. Uh, Palahniuk. Palahniuk, whatever. I don't read actual books. Okay. Just be happy. I can speak. Well, Everything you're saying is a bummer, so whatever you want to do. There you go. Um, now, this movie was this movie was okay. It was, like, it was very similar to, like, the From Beyond, uh, but somehow, like, even gooier and ickier and, like, nastier. Um, but th that's going to be out, again, on VOD as well soon, so. Uh, other than that, I that's, 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 that's pretty much it. Okay. All right. That's a pretty... That's still a pretty uh, comprehensive, no, impressive list. I think. Um, I wish Thank I had. You. I wish I had made more time for horror recently. I will say something that I didn't mention that is kind of horrible. Mm, no, that's not right. It involves a lot of gore. Let's put it that way. I okay. finally, I finally started watching The Boys. Oh, okay. I never see. I I just hadn't given it a chance, and here we are in season three. And I thought, yeah, let's just try it and see if I like it. And uh, we're pretty obsessed. We've watched it since we started it. We've watched at least one episode every night and sometimes a couple episodes because we've just been kind of sucked into it. And I'm completely unfamiliar with the comics. So anything that happens is a surprise. And I kind of like that. Oh, I've read the comics and it's still like they, they veered so far, of course, from the comics. It's actually good because the comics warm, warm take, warm take. Garth Ennis isn't actually that good of a comic book writer. Uh, before I attempted my preacher reread, I would have disagreed with you. But when that show was coming out, I was like, I'm going to dive back into these comics that fill me with joy and I'll experience that joy again. And I got like four books in and was like, oh, wait, I hate this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, it basically takes like the TV show takes like the, the, the good solid premise, which is superheroes are just an extension of humanity and humanity cannot be trusted with any fucking iota of power and expands upon that in a way that is so goddamn satisfying. Yes, 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 yes. I agree with that. It also has themes. If you're paying attention, it has themes that relate to our world, you know, like how everything in America since World War II has had secret Nazis behind it. Mm -hmm. Like not so secret, actually just a little bit of research and you'll find out. Um, or the idea that, like, uh, you know, um, if you think of, th there's a sense in which you can be a narcissist who hurts people, but then you could be a narcissist who hurts people who's seduced by ideologies, you know? 
mm-hmm. and uh, the thematic similarities between um, Homelander and Stormfront, which, by the way, I can't believe they named her Stormfront. Uh, yeah, in the comics, he is Stormfront's clone because Storm- Stormfront is a man. Oh, well, not it, not not a clone like of the same genetic material. Sure. In the in the show, it's a lady and she seduces him. And since I was already thinking of Homelander as kind of similar to Donald Trump, when I was watching that seduction, I thought, oh, the residences with real life are just a little too, mm-hmm. too direct for my taste. It's starting to bump me out a little bit. I still love the show, but I was like, this is basically a metaphor for what actually happened. Yeah, the, the only thing that I don't like about that show isn't the show's fault. It's that we can never we will never mm-hmm. be able to have an irredeemable TV show because the actor who plays Homelander would be fucking perfect for irredeemable like that right oh my god just well and also the character i mean i hate to say but like uh billy butcher is very similar to uh incorruptibles character oh yeah max damage who's very similar to the dc character that's the angry british man i mean he's really similar to that like so much so i was like all right i need to do some research to see if billy butcher had a had a crossover to the DC universe on Supergirl because he's so similar to this character that was on Supergirl and it's not, it's just a rip off because that's what <laughs> comics do. They yeah. just rip each other off. So like, but the similar, I mean, there's literally a character that was on, I mean, he's from the comics, but a character on Supergirl who was an angry British man with a bulldog who got stronger, the angrier he got. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also like, if you look at the, uh, if you look at the costume for um, Black Noir on the TV yeah. show, did you ever read the um, Supreme Power, uh, the newer ones? No, no. There's a character on there named Nighthawk who literally the only difference between him and Black Noir is that Nighthawk has like these like weird sort of like cybernetic like hawk eyes. Otherwise, it's like spot on. Yeah, night night based on the original image, Nighthawk, right? Uh, I know it's it's an older it's an older property, yeah. So that first image, Nighthawk, they literally made the character black just because they were getting criticism that he was killing too many brown people. Like, because all he did in the comic for the first fifteen issues was just murder brown criminals, and then this white power skinhead guy's like. I'm on your side. And he takes his mask off. He's like, put up black. And it's like, a, <laughs> it's like a two page spread of him yelling it into the raid that he's black. And I'm like, you just did that. Cause people thought you were racist. You motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to talk about 1990s death by temptation. We'll be right back. <laughs> destiny had been foretold its fate had been forewarned he did not know that something so sweet could be so evil now the fate of mankind hangs in the balance as kadeem hardison tv's Dwayne wayne this honey i met the other night was bad Superman and Bill Nunn from Do the Right Thing get busy in the first contemporary horror thriller of its kind. 
James Bond III's Death by Temptation. She's every man's dream and your worst nightmare. She leaves with men and you never see them again. <laughs> that holy water she's gonna start slobbering and farting and gagging i'm on a mission and nobody can't change my style so if you can't get down stay up the trip for a while i don't mean to be true and no more you will Death by Temptation, a new movie from Troma. With new music by Ashford and Simpson, Melba Moore, Najee, and Freddie Jackson. And we are back to talk about 1990's Death by Temptation. Written, directed, produced, and starring James Bond III. Dedicated to James Bond Sr. and James Bond Jr. I think the note he puts on it says, I'm the last one left. Which is then if you look at like the if you look at like the the dates of his dad's birth, he died like died at the age of like twenty two. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fucking yeah. it's a fucking bummer. Yeah. Um, it stars K- uh, Kadeem Hardison, uh, James Bond the third, Samuel Jackson, and fucking Bill Nunn. Holy yep. shit! I mean, it, um, it's important to remember this was made just after School Days, which uh, James Bond the third was in. Um, and was shot by, uh, uh, why did my brain just stop? Uh, Ernest Dickerson, who, yes. who was, uh, oh man, what is going on with my brain right now? Uh, do the right thing. Yeah. Who is Spike, the direct, Spike, Spike Lee? Thank you. A Spike Lee joint. Yeah. So, so Ernest Dickerson was Spike Lee cinematographer, not just when he started making movies for realsies, but even, um, in film school, he shot a lot of his stuff. But uh, it's worth keeping in mind, too, that Ernest Dickerson, uh, he, his main interest was horror. So, like, on one hand, the reason this film has such an interesting cast is because of the people they knew. And not only did the, the people they knew, but the connections they had. The, the house that they're shooting in for uh, her scenes and some of the other scenes, that was uh, Lawrence Fishburne's house. Oh, shit. And him and his wife funded part of the movie. They, they did the movie. They got... They helped pay for the movie. They got connections to some of the actors that that weren't Spike Lee actors, and they they basically dressed his house. So a couple of the different locations were just different parts of Lawrence Fishburne's house. And uh, in this interview I watched with Ernest Dickerson, he was like, "He was Larry at the time." <laughs> I love that. I love Larry Fishburne. I, Larry Fishburne, star of Band of the Hand, and and whatever, what else, King, whatever King else, of, King of New York, King of New York, King of New York. Yeah. Um. Okay. I fucking. Love this movie. It's so, so much. fucking good. It's so stupidly good. It takes me back to a time of like, did you ever see the video? This is going to be like super specific and weird, but if you watch the video, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Do you ever hear the song Yo Mister by Patti LaBelle? I've heard the song. I haven't seen the video. Okay. The video is this movie. <laughs> Like, I love that aesthetic that black men had in the, like, late 80s, early 90s. Like, it just took me back to a time when I was like, oh, I'm, I, I, like, I just, it just made me think of seeing, yeah. like, Bell, of seeing, like, Bell Biv DeVoe and MTV sure. and being like, holy shit, that is well, the fucking coolest thing in the world. It's important to keep in mind, this movie was completely funded by a record company, 
And a number of the actors in it, including the first bartender that gets killed, were all performers from the record company. And their songs are on the soundtrack. And this was like their acting debut. But they were like well-known R&B singers of the time. Uh, How well-known they are now i don't know i didn't recognize anyone but a lot of the the a lot of the people in this who weren't spikely affiliates were uh performing artists on the label that paid for this movie the bartender the first guy she kills i have seen that guy somewhere else mm-hmm. there's something about that guy that is like that was like i was like i fucking know that dude i think i've seen his music videos i think he's a real singer i mean i could have that wrong i'm just going off the interview if you guys have i have the blu-ray that vinegar syndrome put out and there's an old, so let me back up a little bit and talk a little bit about this movie. This was James Bond the third's first movie. I don't think he made anything else. I think it might've just been this. I'm not sure, but it wasn't his first thing he acted. It was the first thing he wrote and directed. And um, he, they finished the film. Ernest Dickerson left to go make, uh, do the right thing. And then uh, they couldn't fucking sell it everywhere they went. It was too black. This is what they were being told. The movie was too black. And so finally they went to sort of the last ditch of every horror filmmaker. You know, they went to trauma. This was a trauma release. Uh, in fact, the interview that I watched with Ernest Dickerson was conducted by the trauma guy. Uh, what is his name again? Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah. Lloyd Kaufman is interviewing him. And in the interview, Lloyd Kaufman is not in character. He's actually being the real Lloyd Kaufman. And he straight up says, Death by Temptation is the most artistically viable film we've ever released. It is actually a good movie that only didn't get uh, distribution because of racism. Like he straight up says that in my head, in my head, I picture him being like death by temptation is the most artistically viable film <laughs> we've ever like, I can't, I don't, I mean, he's, I, he's still, he's still Lloyd Kaufman. Let's see. Yeah. I mean, he, he's also wearing a Harvard shirt that spells Harvard the way you would pronounce it. If you were from Boston, it says Harvard. You know, that's the shirt he has on in the, in the interview. But you know, basically they, the gap between when the movie was finished and when it actually got released was almost two years. And the only reason it got released is that trauma picked it up. And then Lloyd Kaufman shot him by himself, a bunch of reshoots, basically stuff that was kind of missing. And then they added, remember the final scene when she becomes a bit of a monster. Yeah. That wasn't in the movie originally. That was all Lloyd Kaufman. And what's so crazy is, Ernest Dickerson didn't actually see the finished movie till years later on cable. And he didn't realize that he had shot some of that stuff. That's so like awesome. Lloyd Kaufman was like, I was so worried when we put the movie out. I thought you're going to sue me for ruining your piece of art. Cause it's such a beautiful film. And Ernest Dickerson goes, brother, I couldn't tell which parts were you and which parts were me. And Lloyd Kaufman literally says, I take that as the highest compliment. <laughs> That's fucking dope. So, uh, yeah, they, they released it. And, and here's the deal. It did pretty good in theaters. It had great reviews. Apparently it had positive reviews from all these major newspapers. It made money in the theaters. But you know what happened? The movie uh, rental places wouldn't take the movie. Literally. I'm not even joking around. This is what I actually, for the first time ever, had a teeny, not enough, but a, the teeniest sliver of respect for Lloyd Kaufman. He straight up says the movie theater places wouldn't take it. Because it was so black and they were worried that, uh, you know, people would come in and like shoot up their video store because that's how racist they were. And I was like, God damn, look at Lloyd Kaufman, like naming white supremacy. Like I going like, to bat. Yeah. yeah. I just 
to be fair, I wish he'd go to bat for women's rights more. Oh, bada bing, Lloyd Kaufman. Oh, ah, hot takes with Liam O'Donnell. I'm just saying, I've heard I've heard too many negative things from people who've worked there. But the point yeah. of, the point is, in this case, he's just really honest. Like, it's 1990, 1991, I guess, when it comes out, when it's coming out on video. And uh, people were scared. They were scared of these sorts of things. I mean, do you remember when Boys in the Hood came out and everyone was talking about all the movie theaters getting shot up? Oh, yeah. All, yeah, it was yeah. just... There was this real anxiety around um, the black community. Oh, you know, not for no reason. Ronald Reagan had been waging a propaganda war against all non-white people in America for eight years. So, like, no duh that people were afraid of of these folks. So the movie just didn't get any distribution on video. And, you know, uh, I got to say, it's a real bummer because this movie is so interesting to me. It starts off just with a fun aesthetic of like, like you said, it has this like very late 80s R&B feel. It's shot in Brooklyn. It all feels very New York, very black. And then it slowly ramps up the insanity until by the end, when his freaking mama shows up to save him from the demon woman. And there's a scene that straight up rips off Videodrome in the best oh, yeah. possible way. Yep, This is like a, a it becomes a crazy visually intense movie that I think is like super underrated. Now it, it maybe isn't a perfect movie. There's still like clunky parts, but I think it's a really awesome horror film, man. I was really blown. I, I was excited to watch it cause I'd heard it was good, but I was not expecting this at all. Yeah. I mean, it, um, as soon as I start watching it and I saw, cause this is, this is the first time I'd ever seen this movie. Yeah. I never even, I'd never even heard of this movie before you, before you brought it up. Um, I saw that it was produced by Troma or distributed by Troma, and I, you know, did like a little eye roll because I'm not a fucking Troma person. Me either. You know what I mean? Like, I like Toxic Avenger, and that's probably it. But a number of movies, just a quick note, a number of movies that should have gotten distribution and didn't get distribution got it because of Troma. So as much as I also roll my eyes at Troma Productions, Troma Distribution has a few gems in its crown. Oh, yeah. And no this doubt. is definitely, definitely one of them. Yeah. But this this movie really like I was honestly expecting something like some like offensive like you know early nineties version of like black exploitation sure yeah Lloyd Kaufman but it gets this like really there's just something about this movie that is like so rough around the edges that it's like it almost has the feel of like um when I say it's charming, I'm not doing like a Southern, like blessed, bless your heart type, type thing. There's a charm to this movie that it, it's so earnest and so heartfelt and so well made that it's like, it's by no means a masterpiece, but the effort that that's there in every single aspect of this movie is so fucking endearing that it really, it really puts this movie above and beyond anything it has any right to be like by all rights, this movie should be like unwatchable. But I mean, it was made for no money. It was written and directed by someone who had never done a movie before. It was made like in people's free time. You know what I mean? And it was before, like, you know, you said uh, Kadeem, uh, uh, what is his last name? Hardison? Hardison, yeah. Hardison is in this. This is before A Different World, y'all. No one knew who the fuck he was. And honestly, Lloyd Kaufman was lucky. He came back for some reshoots after the show blew up. This movie came out. After the show blew up, which also is a reason why I really wish this movie had gotten distribution, 
because I feel like his popularity from that show alone would have like built the audience for this movie, but didn't happen. Didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, same with like, um, like same with like Bill Nunn is like this, like it it just like, I don't know. This, This was such an entertaining movie to watch. Um, Cause it was not like a, like a big Hollywood, like uh take on black horror. It was, uh, how, how, how to say this without like sounding like a fucking complete idiot. Like this was a labor of love. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, there's not, you know, the budget, the, the, is shoestring. The people are sort of committed to making it happen. It's clearly filmed in a few locations, but like it's also effective, which is what you want, right? When you can find a movie that is not a huge production, but it uses what it has very effectively and has some intense, like what, you know, we talk about it ripping off Videodrome. There's a scene that is straight out of Videodrome and yet it has enough of its own weird angles. Like when the, TV spits out the bloody guts. Yeah. That, like it works. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. And like another thing I really like about this movie is like, don't get me wrong. I do love horror films that are saying something that are making some kind of social commentary. Um, if we're talking black horror directors, I think Jordan Peele films are amazing. I think they're well done. And I think they're, they're saying something in a constructive and uh, kind of like cutting away things that need to be said. That being said, I kind of like that this movie isn't really trying to be anything more than it actually is. No, it's not a message movie. It's like a personal story. It's like, it's clearly written by someone who grew up in the church, but, but it's not about that. And it's certainly not about, you know, it's 1990. You could see a horror movie being about, the black experience in America and like falling short. Like obviously like later on in the decade, tales from the hood is to me a, a near perfect movie. Like, and that one is about experience. So it's not like, it's not like um a message ruins the movie necessarily, but this movie feels so personal and it touches on all this religious stuff without ever being like a clear sort of like, I mean, in the end, it's not clear that God saves him. It's clear that his mama saves him. And I think there's something about that that I kind of love. Like, it's just. Yeah. And even and even then, she doesn't really save him. She just helps to disrupt things enough that he's able to, like, get some clarity, you know? Yeah. Another thing that, like, I about this when it comes to, like, religion is, like, the scenes where Samuel L. Jackson, um, it, it, he's, he's preaching. I, I can't remember exactly what he's saying, but he's he's talking about the word of God as its own, um, as like its own idea separate from the idea of God himself. And there was just something about that where he's like, the word is all that there is. And I remember like hearing that and being like, that's a neat take on something. And it's not a hard, it's not, it's not like a, like a drastically sophisticated take, but the idea of the word of God as like an actual entity is like very there's a mysticism there that I sure, think sure. That, that I think made this movie even like more like um like you know how like there's all those like weird um like obviously non we're comic we're comic book people so I'll say yeah. non-canonical like yeah, uh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. Lilith was the mother of vampires and yeah, Cain yeah, did yeah, this yeah 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 
it kind of made like like you said it, it's not clear that god stepped in and did this but christian uh christian artifacts obviously have an effect on this thing so uh-huh. it's obvious that this thing exists in a sort of judeo christian cosmology right. yes 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 and i i like the fact that the 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 uh, the focus on the word of god made that even more kind of like mystical and 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 like a cultish I, I don't know. I, I just thought that t- that took it to a, to a, to a, to another level than just like, I don't know. She's like a fucking monster. Yeah. I, agree. I'm, I 100% agree. Um, I do think it's worth mentioning. I want to mention the performances because in my mind, all of them basically are great except for James Bond, the third. I just think we need to say that James Bond, the third, who is the writer, director and producer of this movie is not the strongest performance in the film. No, unfortunately not. And a lot of the movie doesn't just center on him, which is probably smart. In fact, we spend more time with the succubus, let's call her, uh, than we do with any of the human characters. Like, we see a lot of her killing various people. Um, But when Kadeem and James Bond are acting together, I mean, there's a couple things going on here. One is... um, their friendship is intense. And I feel like there's something about male intimacy being talked about in their friendship, that they are, they've fallen away from each other and are in different places in the world, but they are connected and really love each other in a way. That being said, you know, Kadeem uh, Hardison is such a better actor and it's, it's at times really noticeable oh, that yeah. James Bond is just not capable. And it's a, it's a little bit of a bummer. I don't think it ruins the movie, but it's a little frustrating because a, I think he's better, not that he's great in school days, but I think he's better in school days than he is in this, his own movie. And B so many of the other performances I think are so good. Just really either really solid and believable or really over the top. Like the, you know, the succubus character, is fucking eating the scenery, but that's what you want, right? Like you want her to be ridiculous and that work, it works for the movie. He just can't get to that level. I think by the end of the movie, I think like it's fine. What he's doing is fine, but it's the only part when it comes to the performances that I was like, I just think he could have cast somebody else and it would have been a slightly better movie. And the thing that kind of like drags it down is like, um, it's like a flat performance. Exactly. Like, Like, Bill Nunn is not like a class, like he's not like an amazing actor. No. But his character in this movie is like this kind of like weird, I've seen it all, blue collar fucking like, like kind of like black John Constantine type that is so like every word that comes out of this guy's mouth is like, I'm just like, God damn it, man. Like, you're just like, (laughs) he's just like the scene where he's talking to the woman, he's like, I got an acquaintance with pussy and wet panties. I'm like, nobody talks like that. But everybody, everybody in the world talks like it's just it's, he's so insanely over the top, which is so is so much better than like this, like kind of like dull, sensitive, sensitive, like sad boy fucking sap that is the main character that you're like. But there's like, I, I don't know. I think it, I think it, I think it works for some scenes. It's just it's played too flat overall. So yeah. like, you know, him being a little less crazy than than uh his friend is fine but he never reaches any other emotional point you know he's just, it's just kind of one note um yep. and sometimes one note in a way where he just it just feels like 
he doesn't know what he's doing, which is like, again, I don't remember a lot of him from school days. I don't think he has like a huge role in the movie, but maybe I'm wrong. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I don't remember him being bad in that movie. And he is, again, it's in a different movie. Maybe I would feel less negative about the performance, but in this movie with all these actors, he cannot keep up. Yeah, no, exactly. So that being said, though, this is a must watch. Like, I just think like, I think probably people know I heard about this movie first because of uh, Har Noir, a movie, uh, you know, documentary we already mentioned. They spend a little time on this movie. It's interesting because it does have religious themes. And um, other than Ganja and Hess, there aren't a lot of black horror movies that have very explicitly religious themes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that it sort of stands out for that reason. Uh, it might be a little too pro JC for some people, but uh, I think it's a little more ambiguous on that topic, honestly. Uh, but that being said, no, I, I, I just I just said black John Constantine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's pro John that's Constantine. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but like I picked up this Blu-ray. Basically, I was at our new friends, uh, the Brood uh, Coffee Shop. I was there, and they had this, and I was like, you know, I think this might be out of print. I'm gonna pick this up while I'm here, and I'm so glad I did. This is a not just a, a fun watch, but I think rewatchable, right? I think there, this is something I could watch again and really enjoy. And I think, um, I think it does have a little bit to think about. It's not like the deepest horror movie in the world, but it's interesting. Some of the themes around fear and like what's going on with his father and the imagery of like, I think the imagery of seeing his son in the church with this dark figure behind him, there's something really impactful about that, let alone the, the, you know, the mission student on sort of a sabbatical in the big city. I think there's some interesting stuff around that, even if it plays it maybe a little safe there. Uh, yeah. I think overall is fun. Plus, like I said, if you're going to rip off a movie, go ahead and rip off video drama. I'm okay with that. That's yeah, there, are wor- there are worse movies to jock. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I, I liked it. And I like, you know, for me, I'm an Ernest Dickerson fan, whether that's his work with Spike Lee or his solo stuff. Like Demon Knight's one of my favorite movies. So, uh, you know, I, I was glad to have caught yet another thing that he shot and and really enjoyed it. Cool. Also, the interview on the Blu-ray with uh, Lloyd Kaufman. It's the only time I've ever seen Lloyd Kaufman not being annoying in my whole life. So <laughs> it was nice to see like, oh, he's not always an asshole. That's cool. I, I want to watch it just because I want to see like tone down Lloyd Kaufman. I mean, to be fair, he there's two there's two shots of Dickerson. And one is a, a sta- like a like a like a, a static shot, and the other one is a little small digital camera that Lloyd Kaufman's holding. They they might have filmed this in like the mid two thousands or something, and he just can't stop moving. Like Ernest is just sitting there talking, and Lloyd's like zooming in, zooming out, and like he's not just using the zoom; he's walking around the fucking room holding this <laughs> camera while the dude's talking. And I'm like, does he think this looks cool? Because this does not look cool. At all. He just looks like a psychopath. I mean, it, it, he really looks like he has a problem. It's very weird. That's fucking dope. But he's relaxed, and that was interesting. He's not doing the, I'm Lloyd Kaufman, ah, Troma, ah. It's none of that vibe at all. <laughs> all right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about 1991's uh, The People Under the Stairs. We'll be right back. In every neighborhood... There is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, 
takes you inside. Something's in there. But we gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. What goes on in this house is a sin. But what goes on under the stairs is a nightmare. Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. And we are back to talk about 1991's The People Under the Stairs, written and directed by Wes Craven and starring Brandon Adams, Everett McGill, Wendy Robel, and Countess A.J. Langer. <laughs> is she a countess now? Yes, she is. She's the Countess of Dev she's the Countess of Devon because she married. Hang on a second. She married Charles Courtenay, the son of Hugh Courtenay, 18th Earl of Devon. <laughs> I only know her as that the other girl from My So-Called Life, right? Yep. She there's, was in My So-Called Life. There's the main person who's famous now, and then the other one, and she's the other one. Clara Danes, the 19th Countess of Birmingham. <laughs> no, she, to the best of my knowledge, is not royalty, except in my heart. Um, <laughs> now this movie, this is one of those movies. Um, I would not rank this. I love this movie. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoy this movie. I would not rank this movie in my top 100 films of all time. Really? Yeah. I mean, again, not that I, but not that I dislike it. It's just, you know, it's whatever. This film if you remember when it came out, this was a moment when this movie came out. Yeah, 100%. I, my, I first saw this movie. Okay, we're going to go. We're going to jump into the fucking. We're going to see what made Justin Lore who he is. So when I was when I was a little kid, I had a babysitter who was exactly 10 years older than me. Bobby Joe Davis. Um, she had an older sister by like four years. Terry, who was. The coolest grown up I had ever met. Terry was, she was, I first found out what a lesbian was when I met Terry's girlfriend. Um, Terry would take me and my sister to baseball games. She would take us to movies. She would, we would have sleepovers at Terry's house. You know, I, Terry was a big wrestling fan. So I would go to her house to watch SummerSlam and the Royal Rumble. And Terry let me watch the people in the stairs. Now, when this movie came out, I remember hearing the fucking title and seeing the poster and being like, what the fuck are the people under the stairs? What are they doing there? Are there people under my stairs? And then seeing this movie and being like, oh yeah, that's, um, that's way more horrifying than I thought it was going to be. And I'm not the only one that felt that way. When I posted on Instagram that we were, we were doing an episode on this, there was a number of people who were like, yeah, that movie like fucked me up as a little kid. And it's weird that this movie doesn't get enough credit as like a cultural phenomenon is like the exorcist or um, I don't know, like the Blair witch project or uh, Texas chainsaw massacre, something like that. Cause I really do think that this movie as a mass cultural moment, it was just that it was a thing when it happened, when it came out, it was like, it was all that people were talking about. 
So did you grow? So you grew up with this, but it's not in your top one hundred. No, I mean just because it's 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 like. I don't know, like, because when I say something's not in my top 100, like, that doesn't imply that I don't, like, love it. It's just there's a hundred, there's at least 100 movies that I like more than this. Like, I would definitely say this movie was, you know, had a hand in developing my, my adult, uh, the way I guess I consumed movies, because even early on, I realized that this movie was about something more than just like, oh, there's cannibals in a basement like yeah yeah i i saw oh this is about how horrible rich white people are to, are to poor black people um and it kind of also was like the first time i realized that west craven had made a movie that wasn't a nightmare on elm street i mean granted i was what eight nine years old when this movie came out um but still it was just like even though i i i, I again i wouldn't say it was one of my favorite movies it definitely had an impact on me um, that I I can tell you, I can look back and be like, oh, I, rem I remember when that, like, I can't, I don't remember when Hellraiser came out. I don't remember the hyper on Hellraiser. I don't remember the hyper on any of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, even though I was alive and vaguely sentient when they were around. But I remember seeing commercials for this and seeing this, the movies at the video store and being like, what the fuck? What is that? Hmm. 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 Um, you know, I don't know if I remember that or not, but I definitely remember seeing this movie. And this is one of those movies that, and I think it's because of a few things. One is um, the the uh, the actress in it who's from Twin Peaks, whose name I, I forget. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Weren't the. Um, uh, Everett McGill was in Twin Peaks. Yeah, so was uh So was his wife. Yeah. Uh Wendy Robel? Yeah, Wendy Robel. Her performance is so uh mommy dearest to me. Oh yeah. And that was so upsetting. I found mommy dearest very upsetting as a kid too. Um that combined with the clear sort of racism in the movie, as well as, as you said, the people under the stairs themselves. This is one of those few movies that like was on TV all the time. But I very rarely watched it because it made me feel so bad. I felt bad. And uh, it wasn't until uh, probably college that I came back to it and then realized like, oh, there is so much more going on here as well. And I, I think I really like this movie. It's I don't know how I would rank it overall for me. But when it comes to his movies, you know, there's there's more Wes Craven movies I don't love than I love. Same. And this goes into the love category for me. I'll definitely say this is probably my favorite Wes Craven movie. Oh, you don't like Nightmare on Elm Street? No. Why is it? You know what? Fuck you and your binary attitudes. Okay. You have this horrifying dichotomy and it's either. I, you know what? The only thing that is all or none for me is straight edge. <laughs> I'm just saying it's weird. I For me, that's such an important movie in my life that I couldn't put this movie over that one. Okay. For me, it goes it goes like this. Wes Craven. We're going to rank Wes Craven movies, films Do definitively. It. Do for it. Me. Okay. This. Uh, oh, never mind. I can't think of any, like, any, like, stupid, like, really bad Wes Craven movies. Oh, never Deadly, mind. Deadly Blessing, Deadly Friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, Those two, 
Serpent in the Rainbow. Um, Scream. Man. Why is Serpent in the Rainbow? Why is this movie so good at something that Serpent in the Rainbow is so bad at? I almost chose Serpent in the Rainbow for this episode. I remember. And I, was like, I remember. And I was like, no, no, let's do the movie where Wes Craven actually kind of like um, doesn't turn black people into characters. Let's do that. Yeah. I, I was surprised you didn't pick a movie made by black people, but that's fine. Well, you know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Ving, Ving Rhames is in this. He's he's pretty black. I know. I, I will say this movie is very rightfully in horror noir. This was, this was a movie where I think um, whatever ill will he might have gotten did Serpent of the Rainbow came out before this, right? Am I crazy? I think Serpent of the Rainbow came out like 87. Yeah, and this came out... When? 91. 91. I think whatever ill will he got with Serpent of the Rainbow, he might have got back with this movie. I, I I remember this movie being very popular with, uh you know, various rappers and stuff. Like, this was like a reference movie for, for the culture. And I kind of appreciate that. Um, I don't know. I, I still really like this movie. I love the way... I, I don't love that his name is Fool because that's ridiculous. But I do love the way that f- it feels to be Fool trapped in this house. Like I fucking love that sense of like how the f- how do I even get out of this fucking crazy place? It, f- it it feels like a nightmare in the sense that like, um, and we we've we've talked about this with several films. We talked about this with Hellraiser. We talked about this with Crawl Space. The house in this movie is its own character. Yeah. The house in this movie is so much bigger on the inside than it has any right to be. And I, I fucking love that because there's like, there's the house and then there's like the, the spaces between the walls. Um, right. There's like the rooms in the walls. There's the basement, which is like much bigger than it. Like that to me has this like weird sense of dream logic where you just like keep going and you can't get out of it. And it's like help is right there, but you just can't get to it because it's like, of course you can't. Yeah, I uh, there's a lot of like, so I, maybe part of the thing with this movie is it touches into so many like bigger themes that it's hard for me to notice that the film itself is maybe a little clunky at times. And it's certainly not very it makes me uncomfortable while not being scary. Does that make sense? Like there yeah. aren't a lot of like scares, but the movie makes me uncomfortable. But OK. The part where the people under the stairs are watching Operation Desert Storm or Desert, whatever it was that Bush was doing. Yep. That's that can't be a Wes Craven makes decisions, right? That's a decision, right? Um, The fucking vault in the basement of gold coins. That's exactly what I was talking about when we're talking. We were talking on earlier. That is the moment where it's like when he says, like, no wonder there's no money left in the ghetto. That's the moment that takes this film from being like evil white landlords to being like capitalism is a fucking disease. And these people are like the ones profiting off of it. That's the moment that this film becomes more than just another like, you know, ah, horror movie, evil landlords. That's the movie that is. That's the part that is actually saying something about the nature of. Why this country is fucked. I also think when she says, I don't see a community here, I just see two. And then the community comes out. I think oh, that, that yes. I think that that's also a very a bit ham fisted. I'll be honest, but this is horror. I don't need subtlety sometimes in my horror movies. This movie is not subtle about those themes, but it's also kind of fun. I don't love the butchering of Ving Rhames. Uh, I think just my my personal sort of uh, meter 
for watching uh, black bodies be treated like meat is just like done. Like I'm just done with that. It's a little cruel. It's a little cruel. I mean, maybe it felt not that way in 1990. It's just, it's a horror movie. There's gotta be blood and guts, but like watching it now, I was like, Oh, I'm uncomfortable. This is the, I mean, uh, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this playing devil's devil's advocate. Um, we have a rich white man carving up yes. a black, oh, yes. carving up a black man and throwing the scraps to, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and let's, let's be clear. This all, that might feel utterly ridiculous. Um, anyone who knows the history of lynching knows about the carving of black bodies, yep. the keeping of souvenirs of those bodies, mm-hmm. the creation of pieces of furniture from black bodies. Um, and that's so, not, that, that, that's not just a specifically American phenomenon. That is a colonial. Right. Yes. yes. That, they did that to the Aboriginal people in, in, in Australia as well. That's a colonial, um, tool. It's a, it's a yeah. colonial, that's a colonial weapon of terror. Yeah, the violation of and 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 instrumental instrumentalization of those bodies, and uh, so I think that's effective. It's just actually fucking seeing it was a lot for me in the moment. Um, yeah, I get that. Yeah, but also like it's worth noting like them being cannibals. I mean, we're also playing. I, I don't know. I mean, I know that the inspiration for this story was not the black community. It was uh, just a story of a burglary where there was like a house where the people had been keeping kids locked up, you know? Yeah. Um, but the insertion of those themes, especially in this time in America, I think is not nothing. And I don't think some people have suggested it's just Wes Craven cashing in on, you know, what was becoming sort of a black film moment. And I don't think that's fair at all. I think it, I think it is an opportunity for some audiences to see heroes and villains that they identify the themes of and other audiences to stop and go like, Oh, that doesn't seem fair. You know what I mean? Like a lot of sheltered white people watch this movie and and thought some new thoughts that they hadn't thought of before. There is a scene in the very beginning of this movie. I I forget what it was, but someone mentions one of, um, one of Ving Rhames friends. And I think fool like says like, Oh, like fuck that guy or whatever. Some variation. Someone condemns him for committing a crime. And Ving Rhames says, for what? Wanting to put food on his family's table? And it's like, that right there, it's not this like dramatic like revelation, but that speaks to the nature of crime. Fucking poverty. That's where all crime, that's where crime comes from usually. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like. Well, and even the idea that like maybe Ving Rhames and his white friend are a bit greedy. It's like, yeah, but if they were greedy Wall Street dudes, we'd put them on the covers totally of cool the magazines. This. Yeah, it's it's like, yeah, you're right. They're trying to get the most out of their effort. They're trying to, I mean, in reality, you could describe everything they're doing within the references of business. They're trying to maximize their effort. They're trying to like diversify their bonds. (laughs) I mean, kind of right. Like, uh, and, and really sort of like, um, they see an investment opportunity really like they're, they're trying. And it makes sense. Like these folks are the only in this case. I mean, again, the the moment you're describing when he says no wonder there's no money in the ghetto, it's both true and fantasy. It's also the moment that the movie spills into fantasy because it's not these people, right? I don't know how he could do it, but if Wes Craven wanted to make this movie even more pointed, 
there'd be some moment where we all realize that as a white audience, if you are part of the white audience and you know, I'm only half white, but I'll throw myself in there. You are this couple because all the money that's missing from the black community is in your fucking community. Often quite literally, like the money was siphoned off to pay for your roads, to pay Mm -hmm. for your fucking houses, to give you student loans. That's where all those fucking resources went. And so instead we've got these people who have all the resources in their basement. But even though it's a fantasy, it's a helpful fantasy because it does help you realize like, what if the greed of people with property and opportunity really is hurting the black community, which is like, of course it fucking is. But a lot of people, I mean, even I I was going to say a lot of people in 1991 or 19, whatever, don't realize it. But honestly, a lot of people don't realize it now. It's 2022. Yeah. And there are still assholes walk around being like, well, everyone gets the same chance. Get the fuck out out of here. Ving Rhames is just a fucking businessman doing the best he can with what he has available. He is attempting a hostile takeover. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that's completely legal. Yeah. Um, I, I, to- I've, I said recently, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I wish I was in a band just so I could write a song called um, My Adopted Cannibal Brothers. I mean, I could do that. I Be- do a music project, so you should you should do because that's literally what this is about. It's about Alice and her adopted cannibal brothers because she's yeah. got a whole family of adopted cannibal brothers in the basement who all need a little bit of sunshine because it's fucked them up. And then they, you know, they get loose. You know, it's a little bit of a bummer at first because I really think they're going to try to eat fool. But once they decide they like fool, then they are the heroes of the story as well. That's they become the heroes. That's what I was going to say. This movie was like. Puppet Master three levels for me. When I watched yeah. this movie and I was like, oh, holy shit. Not, o- not only are they not the bad guys, like they're actually like, okay, first off, Roach, he's such a good fucking dude. I, when I was, when the I was best. a little kid, when I first saw that, I was like, oh my God, that's fucking terrifying. But then when you're like, oh no, he's just like, he's, he's helpful. Um, the, the it, it, it's like, I don't even know if at any point that the, that the people under the stairs are debating whether or not to eat fool. Like I like part of me says like, maybe it's like the corny, like sentimental part of me says like they kind of felt like a kindred spirit in it. Maybe. I don't know. I think once it becomes clear that he is actually a post, cause why would they respect him prior to that? Right. It's just another asshole. It's another mouth mouth to feed. If they can fucking eat him before he can defend himself. Why wouldn't they? That's all they have to say. Really, the people under the stairs are such a clear metaphor for the poor. The fact that all of them are white makes sense because the couple is white and racist, so they only wanted white sons. But like, if those were not white people, the metaphor would have been even more clear of, yeah, we keep all of these people in our... I mean think about them as like in jail or something, you know what I mean? Or, or what, however metaphorically you want to think about it, people who are deprived and desperate, right. Are going to turn on each other and on you and they're not going to be safe. And they're going to have to be operating from whatever for the, for them. Remember all of them have been maimed in some way and they haven't seen the sun and they've been living off of scraps, apparently human scraps, you know? Uh, But then as soon as they start to believe that fucking fool, even more so than Roach might get them out of this thing. They fucking rise up and take bloody revenge. And oh, it is glory. Every moment of it, especially because that's the moment when she is at her most mommy dearest and yep. is like the most frightening and really is fucking my shit up. Like I'm feeling deep 
pain at the intensity there and like psychological trauma. And then they rise up and fuck her up. And I'm like, man, I love those adopted cannibal brothers, man. Like I'm into it. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. It's an overly optimistic view of like class warfare. I think without a doubt, without a doubt, but it's still like in a time when like reality is like fucking somehow more horrifying than cannibalistic fucking orphans under the stairs. It is exactly what I needed to see. Like I needed to see full bonding with the one person under the stairs. And he's like, yeah, you're going to get out of here someday. You're going to see the sun, the women and the the, the person, the guy's like, yeah, like, I don't know. There was just like, there's like the way, like the way they they treat like Alice, the way they treat fool, how they like, you know, I don't know. It was just like, it's just like, maybe cause I'm so used to it. Cause this movie came out like 30 plus years ago, but it's like, I still marvel at how the people under the stairs in a movie called the people under the stairs, they're like the kind of heroes in this. I just think that's like adorable. Yeah. I love it. I mean, yeah. The, the way that they sort of become, well, and it, you know what it reminds me of is the way that certain zombie films function in which you eventually just want the zombies to eat the asshole humans who you hate. Yeah, this is a movie full of bubs. Like, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, but also the way that the community, I mean, the community ends up not being particularly effective in saving these kids' lives. And so I could see someone being like, I wish they had been given more to do out there than just sort of stand outside and go, hey, what the hell, you know? Yeah. Still, I think there's something poetic about the way the film works its way out. The only part for me of this movie that I really think is so dumb that it's hard for me to forgive is the eventual trick that catches uh, father, whatever his real name is, you know, mommy and daddy that catches daddy in his fucking bondage suit. He comes around the corner and the coins in the candle. Yep. Fool did not have time to set that shit up. I get it. There's a poeticness to it that seems cool. But how did he have that much time to get those fucking coins and those fucking candles? He didn't. He just did not. It is the sort of writing that hopefully someone regretted later. Because in a movie, I mean, this everything about this movie is ridiculous. And yet there is only one moment where I go, oh, fuck you. And it's those candles, man. Like every other part. Like, why did the all the all the people understand is the kids under the stairs all they are doing is eating human flesh and not being out in the sun that wouldn't make them look like actual gargoyles and they certainly wouldn't have black eyes but i don't find any of that disconcerting you know like when when things explode and no one gets hurt like that's not disconcerting the only part where i'm literally like are you kidding me right now is the coins in those fucking candles. Have you ever tried to put anything in a candle? You can't you, just put a coin into a candle. You are having and i quote in episode 2509, when Itchy plays Scratchy Skeleton like a xylophone, he strikes the same rib twice in succession, yet he produces two clearly different notes. I mean, what are we to believe? That this is some sort of magic xylophone or something? Boy, I hope somebody got fired for that blunder. You can make whatever jokes you want, but you know that candle thing doesn't make any goddamn sense. Look, let let him have his magic candle. <laughs> I mean, let don't... Fool- I, don't get me wrong. I love the idea that it, it, that they. I mean, I kind of want him to make off with more of that money before it explodes out of the building. Dude, but, I was watching. You know, I was seeing him count those coins, and like the pawnbroker, I mean, was like, "Oh, those are fucking. Those are Krugerrands, my friend. You bring those down here, we'll give you fucking ninety percent of spot." Well, okay. This is my question to you: Is it Nazi gold? Do they have Nazi gold? No, they had. Uh, from what I could see, they had. 
holy fuck. Um, they, those were like American silver pieces and it looked like a few German Krugerrands and German Krugerrands are, those are legal. Like Nazi, sure, there is, sure. there is no, there is no, was that Nazi gold? There's no questioning Nazi gold. Okay. Okay. Well, the point is there is something about the idea that everywhere just outside the ghetto are rich white people with secret money in their basements. <laughs> I mean, and boards of cannibalistic yeah. orphans. I mean, part of that is believable to me, and it's not just the cannibalistic orphans. It's <laughs> it's the hordes of money part. And, um, you know, of course, it, it, it's not that literal, but I don't know. I for If people watch this movie and they don't find any part of it emotionally connective, then we are just different people. Because this, this movie, I, I connect with it in a certain way. I feel it in a certain way. I guess it might not be in my top 100, but, uh, but it, you know. It was one of the first movies that really kind of upset me the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. And then I've just come to love it the more I've watched it since. Yeah, this 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 absolutely is a, a like a, a kind of touchstone in in the in the in the history of millennial horror consumption. This is a film that uh my fucking enemy, my most hated person in the world, Chris Reject. This movie upsets him, which makes me like it more because it causes him discomfort, but like even he, as fucked and twisted and much of a fucking ghoul that he is, he still has that human connection to this movie. Like, it scares him. And he, he is a person under the stairs. Yes. Okay. In the sense that he tries to stay out of the sun all the time? Uh, well, that's actually more like Adam Brion, but, like, I actually like Adam. Not that I dislike Chris, but Adam's actually, like, I don't, I don't have a weird love-hate relationship with Adam as like I do with Chris. Sure, sure. Uh, I will, I will say, um, that, uh, oh, I lost it. Never mind. Oh, uh, I read on IMDb and this could be bullshit that Wes Craven was working on a TV version of this show before he passed. And, uh, I are a TV version of this movie. Uh, I actually think that could be cool depending, but yeah. then part of me is like, but in order for it to last the whole season, they'd have to deny me my catharsis much longer than this does. And that, <laughs> yeah. that would that would maybe bum me out, actually. I got you. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that was the people under the stairs and death by temptation. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we are probably gonna have Chris reject on again soon because he's having another stupid fucking wrestling event. Oh that we're god, gonna try to hype up. fucking events. So we're probably gonna do like Blade Trinity or something. Actually, no. What we are gonna do Blade Trinity because I want to make Chris watch Blade Trinity. <laughs> so, uh. You can go, you can head to patreon.com backslash in the punks if you'd like to become a patron. Uh, be sure to check out www.xlvacx, uh, essexcoffeeroasters.com, and Mechanical Shark Media. Shout out to the fucking homie Sharky. <laughs> Mechanicalsharkmedia.com. Look, Sharky does everything. He does He's video. He's a fucking great dude. He does streaming. He does editing. He's just the best. So, hey, go check it out. Mechanicalsharkmedia.com. I'm sad. I Side note, I'm sad I didn't get to hang out with Sharky at This Is Hardcore. And you know what, Liam? You know you know what I'm even sadder about? What's that? You weren't there when Hatebreed played under the knife. Oh yeah, the, the the when they played the only good Hatebreed material. No 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 no. That's not what I said. You said that. Also, I'm also very sad because they had this really cool Perseverance shirt, and this this is this is going to make you sad because you know me. They didn't have that shirt in my size, so I had to get a Satisfaction is the Death of Desire shirt, like a fucking peasant. Ugh. 
I hate you so much. <laughs> anyway, you can head to cinepunks.com or you can check out more episodes of this podcast and a, f- a bunch of other good podcasts like Twitch of the Death Nerve, Cinepunks, The Carnage Report, Wine and Cheese. Uh, w- w- what's the new one we have? I forgot. I feel like a total dickhead. Oh, the Shameless Picture Show. Shameless Picture Show is our newest. Um, so yeah, cinepunks.com. Be sure to head there. And until next time, burn in hell. Burn in hell. Peace. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!